0: Think back on Christmas morning. We all remember the excitement of wondering what's in those boxes. There may be different memories and traditions you might have. Christmas time is known for giving and receiving gifts. But perhaps there's more to the gifts that we see. We know what gifts are. Yet that still leaves the question. What does a gift mean? so glad you guys are here today. This month, we're focusing on the very first Christmas gifts ever given, which were the ones given to Jesus. And so the entire month is really launched off of this one single verse in Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It says this about the wise men. It says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, God never does anything at random, never does anything without some purpose and meaning behind it. So we're looking at these gifts, and last week we began looking at this gift of gold. We said gold has always meant riches and maybe even more so power. We talked about this was a gift for kings and then said that that Jesus is, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, he is king of all kings, Lord of all lords, which is the gift of gold given to him. And we talked about how probably none of us would want to be under the absolute rule and authority of any human king, right? I doubt that if you would, I know that I would not. But we said Jesus is not only one with all power, he's one that is completely righteous. In other words, every single thing he does is good, nothing bad. We said he knows everything, he has all wisdom, and he has this deep, abiding, perfect, pure, infinite love for you. This is who he is. He's king of kings, and that's the kind of king he is. I said, so that's the kind of king that we're called to put our life under the authority of. That that was gold. Frankincense is the one we'll talk about today. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense was, at the time, was this very expensive, fragrant perfume that was used throughout uh, much of the world. Israel used it. It comes from this Boswellia tree. There's this um, gummy resin from the tree, and when it's processed out, it makes this sweet-smelling perfume that's called frankincense. In Israel, they most likely imported it from Arabia. They couldn't grow it or produce it where they were at. They most likely imported it. So you can trace this back, you can trace this back to the Old Testament. The most common usage that you would have in mind if you knew the Old Testament of where it was used would be the tabernacle or the temple the temple had replaced the tabernacle. You would think the most prominent place that frankincense would show up would be in the tabernacle or temple. And the most prominent person that would use frankincense was the high priest. He was a high priest. So um, this is going to be important to understand, and many of you do already. Everything in the Old Testament points toward Jesus, Every single thing in the Old Testament points toward Jesus. It gives us a better understanding about, about who has come and who Jesus is. And so I'm going to walk you back to, to where frankincense was most prominently used in Old Testament times and, and begin to uncover the deep significance of Jesus being given frankincense soon after his birth. So uh, in Moses' time, which was, historians don't know exactly, 1200 B.C., 1400 B.C., God comes to Moses and the people of Israel and says, I'm going to do something different that's never been done. I'm going to pitch my tent among you. I'm going to move into the neighborhood. In other words, I'm going to let you draw close to me. And and quite literally, he said, I'm going to pitch a tent here, which was the tabernacle as it would be. This was unheard of in the ancient world. You can study the ancient world and, and all of the gods of the ancient world. None of them would draw close to the people. None would pitch a tent and live among the people. So God says, I'm going to live among you. I'm going to give you this gift of deep proximity to me. He said this tabernacle will be a, a holy sanctuary, which is where the tension and problem comes from. No problem for God. He's perfect and holy, but but every single person among them, the same would be true of us. Every single one was a sinner and Scripture talks about God not being able to, to, to reside in the presence of sin. It says he's this consuming fire. And so now he's going to set up a tent and live near them, invite them to draw nearer. How do you get close to the sun without burning up? How do you enjoy the light and warmth of the sun when it's no longer 93 million miles away? So, God would say to them, I'm going to show you the way to build this tabernacle. Very precisely, the way to build it. And I'm going to show you the way to approach me safely in this tabernacle. I will show you the way to approach me in the tabernacle. So, so we can grasp this. I'll I'll cover it in a broad way. But this is what the tabernacle was like. There were three rooms in the tabernacle. The courtyard was the biggest room. If you would imagine with me that this entire room is, is the tabernacle the courtyard would be the biggest room, so maybe it would be the entire space from here this direction. And everyone was allowed to come to worship God in the courtyard. All of the Israelites were invited to come worship God in the courtyard. There was this second room called the holy place. It was smaller than that. For example, this being our room, the holy place might be this temporary stage that comes all the way up to here. And only the priests could come to the holy place and worship and minister God, to God in the holy place. And then the third room was the Holy of Holies, which would be, in our example, this stage. And there was this, uh, there was this dense, thick, some say maybe even several inches thick, curtain that totally separated the Holy of Holies from everything else and everyone else. There was this dense curtain there. And this is where you would most intimately meet God and experience him. And no one was allowed to enter except the high priest and then only one time a year. No one except the high priest in that one time of year, the Day of Atonement, could he enter. So this is what he would find every day, but most importantly on the Day of Atonement, he would find in the in the holy place, this second room, right up against the curtain leading to the Holy of Holies. He would find this altar that was completely inlaid with perfect pure gold. So there's this presence of gold there. He would burn incense that had had three products in it, but the base product was frankincense. So, there's this gold altar, the incense he would burn frankincense, and he would anoint the, the uh, altar in the area with this anointing oil, the base biggest component of which was myrrh. So, <laughs> the, the way that God gave is, is surrounded by this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, The high priest would um, authentically be sure his faith was in God, and he would hopefully authentically repent. There were some rituals he would go through that would show cleansing of sin, and then he would carefully part the curtain and hold his breath and walk in. And if he was really repentant and had his faith in God, then God would accept him, and he would have this brief time so intimate to God in the holy of holies, and he was there to represent all of Israel, He was their representative. They couldn't go there. God said, "There will only be one. There'll be the high priest. He'll represent all of you." And there he would find God's mercy and God's grace. Can I define for you mercy and grace? In this case, mercy—mercy was not getting what he deserved. He was a sinner like all of the others. God is this consuming fire. How do you draw close to the sun without getting burned? But he would experience God's mercy. He didn't get what he deserved, which was death in God's presence. Grace, however, is getting what he didn't deserve, getting what he didn't deserve. In this case, it was getting to step into the very presence of God, which signified he'd been forgiven. Every single sin forgiven. And it signified for the Israelites, for all of them that had genuine faith and repentance, it was a symbol to them, the significance that they were totally forgiven forgiven. But a year would pass and he'd be back again at the Day of Atonement and they would do it again and again and again down through the centuries. They did it in the tabernacle again, 12 to 1400 BC, all the way until 960 BC. Solomon builds the temple then and the temple takes the place of the tabernacle. It's designed exactly the same way. Same three rooms, same components. You get right to the verge of where you're going to enter the Holy of Holies and there's this gold at the altar. And frankincense is burned and this anointing of myrrh that's taking place there year after year after year. The temple's built nearly a 1,000 years past. 960 or so years pass, And on a given day, when the priest would be there just on the edge, the Holy of Holies in the presence of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, six miles south of the temple in Bethlehem, Jesus is born. And with days, within days or within weeks of that, These wise men, these strangers to Joseph and Mary show up. What do they bring Jesus? They bring him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've wondered if Mary began to put the pieces of the puzzle together. She would be steeped in the Old Testament. She would know all that I've told you and so much more. She would have never seen the Holy Room because only priests could go there. She would have never seen the gold altar never close enough in that room to smell that frankincense burn, never actually see that myrrh, that oil anointed there, but she would know all about it. It says in Scripture, different times when events occurred around Jesus' life, it says that she pondered them deeply in her heart. So I find myself wondering, was she beginning to make a connection? I mean, all of these years, God's saying, I I have come to pitch my tent in your midst so you could draw close to me. But I'm a, consume, a consuming fire. There's only one way to do it. You have to do it the way I show you. And the way there's this gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and now all of a sudden, her baby's born. She understands he's the Messiah all of a sudden, and these strangers show up, and what do they give him? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The focus today is on this frankincense, the significance of what that would be like. And so, so they would be burning this frankincense, Um. From year after year, 30 years, 33 years past, they've been doing this all this time. Jesus would answer the question of one disciple, and he would say this in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All of those years in the temple on the edge of the Holy of Holies, God's saying, There is one way. You get access to me. There's one way. And and part of the picture is this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father but by me. So the high priests are the primary user of this frankincense. And on the, the Day of Atonement, the high priest then would, as was done every day, he would be the one then on that day to approach the gold altar. He'd be the one to burn the frankincense. He'd be the one to anoint with, with myrrh. And then he would very carefully part the curtain, hold his breath, and step in. And and if God accepted him, there would be this full presence of mercy and grace. Now, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest. Scripture tells us that, that Everything that had preceded was a mere shadow of what was true about Jesus and salvation. It was a mere image, mere picture, mere analogy. All the previous high priests, they were just shadows of the high priest. Hebrews 2.17, speaking of Jesus, says he is our merciful and faithful high priest. And the day Jesus died on the cross, in fact, the moment at 3 p.m. on that Friday, he died on the cross... Matthew would record that this happened. Matthew 27, 50, 51. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. In other words, he died. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everyone. And the moment Jesus died, it was ripped in two from top to bottom. He destroyed the barrier between people and God. Matthew was careful to write, it was torn from top to bottom. Meaning this was torn from heaven. This wasn't mere men that walked up and tore it. This was torn from heaven. I mean, the high priest has, has given his life, the high priest has, and he destroys the curtain separating us from God. From Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 to Hebrews 10, 39, there's this long run of chapters that are all about Jesus being our high priest. It's rich. I would encourage you to look at it. Hebrews 2.17 through 10.39. But I'll give you a couple of main points in it. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. It says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. He sat down. Every prior high priest could go in briefly and had to exit. He wasn't worthy of staying there. But our high priest went in, he ripped the curtain and destroyed it, went in, and he sat down in the place of honor, and that's where he is right now in this moment. He is permanently and forever there. Man, uh, Hebrews seven, twenty four to twenty-five says, Because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He is the way, the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father but by him. He's he's the only means that you and I escape what we deserve from our sin. He's the only way. Uh, You know, it's hard to fully grasp good news when you're not clear on what you've been saved from. I struggle with that, and I struggle with it around this matter of Jesus uh, being the high priest and Jesus destroying the curtain between me and God and Jesus opening the way. and his free- I struggle with, with deeply appreciating that because I often fail to realize what I'm saved from. And I think you probably often fail to realize that as well. So let me give you an illustration that might help, one that's, that's more tangible, one that's current. And honestly, it's one that might be very tender to some of you. If if so, on the one hand, I would apologize. On the other, I would say, if you are moved by emotion by this, even the idea of this, if it helps you be more deeply moved by what Jesus has done, then I'm glad I touched a tender spot in you. So imagine with me that I'm this forgetful person. Well, actually, I am a forgetful person, so I'll just say that. So I am, so just imagine with me that this last, August the 1st, that I began to wonder if I'd actually renewed my FEMA flood insurance. It was kind of gnawing at me on August the 1st. And and so I went to my closet and I reached up on the top shelf where I keep my important documents and I pulled them down. I began to rifle through them. And I find the FEMA flood insurance and I find that, that I actually had renewed it. And so there's this like little wave of peace. There's a little bit of peace of mind I get. And maybe even a little bit of happiness, a little bit of joy, but if you had rung my doorbell five minutes after I found it, I would have probably said, hey, how are you doing? You'd ask how I was doing. I would have forgotten all about it because I would be clueless that this piece of paper and what it represented would be what would save me from financial ruin. I I, I didn't realize that. My peace and my joy came because I didn't realize what this really meant. Are you following with me? Now, change the scenario. I'm still forgetful. I blow past August the 1st. On the night of the 26th and 27th, the flooding comes, and suppose my house had four feet of water in it. And I begin to wonder if I renewed my FEMA flood insurance. I can't get into my house until September the 1st, one month later than the first, September 1st. I finally get in, and my house is destroyed. I work my way back to the closet. I reach up to the top shelf where the important documents are. I pull it down. I rifle through it, and I find, indeed, I had renewed our FEMA flood insurance. Can you picture the joy, the peace of mind? Can you picture how it would feel if you, five minutes later, if you were driving down the road and you noticed my car in the driveway, and you pulled over and you came in to say hello to me? I don't think I'd even say hello. I think I would have grabbed you and said, "I have flood insurance." I have flood insurance i 'm safe from financial ruin. I would have been ecstatic. I would have been annoying from being such joy and and the only difference is the only difference is that it's the same piece of paper it's the same coverage. The only difference is the second case I know what it's worth. I know what i 'm saved from. May we know what. Trusting Jesus is worth. May we know what He really did as our high priest. May we know the gain that comes. If you're a follower of Jesus, may you and I know the gain that comes. And sometimes the only way we can understand and actually deeply feel what it means to be saved is to see actually what we're saved from. So I want to go there. In the middle of this Hebrews section, Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. And the word of God has two meanings. One is uh, the Bible, scripture. The other is Jesus. And both could be met here. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything, everything, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. He knows every single thing about me, my life. Every single thought exposed to him, every single word exposed to him, every single action exposed to him, every single one, everything. And he is the holy one. The righteous one to whom I am accountable. How many sins have I committed? Thousands? Tens of thousands? Don't look holier than thou. You have two. You're in the same position I'm in. And he is this consuming fire. Sin can't reside in his presence. And he sees everything about me. Everything about me. And the outcome of that should be death and much worse than that, hell. And that's just the truth. That's just the truth. That's what I deserve. It's what you deserve. Apart from faith in Jesus, that's what I would get. Apart from Faith in Jesus, that's what you will get. In fact, if you don't know Jesus and that doesn't change, then that is your future. It's that bad. It's that bad. But The writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 14. So because of this, God sees and knows everything about me and you. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The one that knows everything, he understands. He walked this planet for 33 years. He was exposed to all the same temptations you and I have. The only difference is he never sinned. And rather than to hold that over us, he, he uses that on our behalf. You know how the high priest, all those years, he would go into the temple, he would do all this ceremony of cleansing, he would authentically repent, And God would somehow give him grace and say, you're cleansed, your sins are forgiven. Jesus shows up as the high priest and there's nothing to forgive. (laughs) He is perfect and pure. He he walks in the ripped curtain, sits at the throne, beside the throne of God in the place of honor, and he represents us. He represents you and me. Which means when the moment I put my faith in him began to live a life of faith in him, then, then he imparted this righteousness to me and said, he, he didn't say, look, wait till you die, then you can approach the throne. It's now, let us, let us now come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we, we will receive his mercy and he'll, we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Again, mercy is not getting what we deserve. What I deserve, what you deserve, is death and hell. That's just reality. And, and if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're not going to get that. You don't get, I don't get what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, which means forgiveness and living in the intimate presence of God now and forever. The intimate presence of God now and And forever. Gold. Jesus is king. Frankincense, he is our high priest. He is our high priest. And by what he's done for us in walking through the curtain and destroying it, he's given us the pathway as well. He's given us the chance for intimacy with God now and forever. He is our high priest. This is what I'm hoping for this morning that if you have not trusted Christ, two things, you would understand that you're a sinner too. And on your own, you deserve death and hell like everybody else. But the second thing is you would understand that Jesus walked into, the, into heaven, to the throne of God for you too. He went to represent you. And the moment you were to begin a life of faith in him, then you'd be able to walk in boldly as well to the presence of God. You wouldn't get what you deserved in death and hell. You would get what you didn't deserve of beginning to live in the intimate presence of God. That's what I hope if you don't know him now, that you would understand that. For those of us that have known him for a day or a month or a year or a decade or more, my my hope and prayer is somehow this spirit would stir in you and me something I can't generate, but would stir within us a sense of what we've been saved from. Kind of the sense of, of the, I got flood insurance, but infinitely more so. And that we would end the service with a surprising joy and gratitude and worship and peace and celebration because Jesus came to this planet and he is our high priest. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for this truth. Thank you so much that you made a way for us. Thank you so much that merely in beginning to trust Jesus, putting our faith in him, that we won't get death and hell. Yes, physically we'll die. Our soul will never die. We instantly get intimacy in your presence, instantly, instantly. For some in this room, may it stir them to say, Jesus, I want to trust you too. I will trust you too. May they know they're in, may may they celebrate with abandon. The rest of us, Father, may we understand that Jesus came to save us and understand how stunning it is, what he saved us from and what he saved us to. I pray this with great hope and expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.